often, stories like Megan's are reduced to headlines. One more abduction, one more assault, one more murder. One more tragic story about a stranger. We may empathize with the victims. We might be bothered and think about the story for a day or two. But in the end, there is another tragedy just around the corner that will take our attention. But for the family and those closest to the case, it's never really over. It stays with them forever. As I have interviewed everyone for this podcast, one thing has been perfectly clear. This event left an imprint on all of them. Some of the finer details may have faded, but the emotions and the fear from that day are still there. As part of the community, my family was contacted a little before noon to let us know that Megan was missing. However, Megan's disappearance was not the first missing girl I had heard about the morning of June 5th. I just remember coming in and getting onto my computer. And this was when the internet was just becoming popular. And I remember pulling up the internet and seeing for the first time Elizabeth Smart was missing. Elizabeth Smart also 14 years old, was kidnapped from her bedroom in Salt Lake City, Utah, on the exact same night as Megan. The similarities between the two did not stop with their age. They looked strikingly similar, and both had been with a sister at the time they were last seen. However, the deputies and the family did not let this news sidetrack their search. Grandpa gets the phone call, and he's like, I'm going to think I'm going to head out, like, we're going to, like, something serious is they're starting to realize it's serious. So Grandpa left, and I just remember saying to him, I'm going to stay here. I'll take care of things here, just in case she calls. And I remember thinking, that was so weird to think, why would I say that? And I remember thinking, why did I say that? So he leaves. He's like, okay, sounds good. With Grandpa on his way to help, Gina and Daryl ask Megan's friends, Kara and Whitney, if they could come to Megan's home to be interviewed. I had been one of the last people to see her the night before as well, because uh, we'd hung out the night before. And so they asked me to come over and talk to the police as well. Uh, so her grandpa showed up um, and we went back over to their house. We had plans to go camping the weekend as a family and we were inviting Megan and her little sister to go with us. And um, my parents had gone off to work and they said, okay, before we can leave for the weekend, we need you, my brother and I, to clean the house and, and get some chores done so we can be ready to go when we get home. Megan's mom, she said, okay, the police are going to come and get you and Blake my brother and we're going to bring him we're going to bring you back over to our house they're going to ask you some questions i said okay so i hung up called my mom and let her know what was going on and we only lived a mile apart so not even 10 minutes later i think they showed up at the house and um, took us over to megan's house i recognized as we pulled in um bedding and, and blankets out on the trampoline um and I specifically remember seeing her Scooby-Doo blanket. And um, as I went in and, and talked to the police officers, they asked um, 
I mean, several different questions, as you'd expect, you know, what we talked about recently, or if she was happy or not, um, if she had ever mentioned running away. Uh, it was pretty apparent pretty quickly that they were kind of under that assumption. And that's probably the most common scenario for a, a teenage girl to then be more of a runaway. And of course, no indications of that. I tried to answer that, you know, no, she was always happy. There was nothing, no talk of running away. They asked if, you know, she had a boyfriend, if she was seeing anybody, any talk of running off with the boy, um, and none of that. Uh, and then they finally turned their questioning to if I had any idea where her black backpack was. Um, and she <laughs> did not own a black backpack. And I knew that. I can't remember, of course, for the life of me, what color her backpack would have been or was, but I remember specifically that it was not black. And I tried to say that. She doesn't have a black backpack. And he just repeated himself, but we were just trying to locate her black backpack. We, we think, you know, she might have taken it with her, taken some stuff with her. Anyway, it was a little back and forth of there's not a backpack. We're just looking for it. Uh, and I finally said, you know what? If she had left, if there was any indication that she really was gone, that she chose to leave, she would have taken that Scooby-Doo blanket out there on that trampoline. Like she and I had had many, many sleepovers at this point and she went nowhere without that blanket. This specific detail more than any other during the interviews had a profound impact on me. It really made me stop and consider just how young and innocent 14 really is. I imagine it also gave the deputies some understanding of Megan's personality and who she was as a person, a child. Um, took us over to Megan's house and brought us into one of the bedrooms upstairs and started asking us questions about where she is, when was the last time we talked to her, um, who else she might be talking to and where she might have gone. And it's, it's not like Megan to just go somewhere and be with someone without having um, telling somebody about it. And the people that she would talk to and go hang out with are the ones that are already in that house. And we had no idea where she was. So then it got really, um, became really real. And um, our friend Kara was there too. And I remember we both said the same thing. We're like, well, maybe she's hanging out with so-and-so, which would be really strange but it, that was a possible opportunity. She was talking to a boy at the time that thought she was pretty cute. Um, and the police were like, yeah, we already talked to them that she's not there. I remember seeing Gina and she was crying um, and upset talking to other people, trying to figure out what they know, where they could be looking and, and if anyone knows anything about Megan. I do remember just thinking, there's no way she's gone. She has to be somewhere. And why would she be somewhere and not tell somebody? And it, it didn't even cross my mind that someone could have taken her. But I also remember seeing Kira and that, that made me realize how serious it was. Uh, my name is Kevin Cox. I was a detective sergeant. And at the time, I was called, I was out on the gun range. Received a call from dispatch that uh, patrol was out at her residence uh, and that she had disappeared. 
So those of us that were out on the rage headed in, uh, the other detectives that were in the office, I responded out to the house. When I got out to the house, we were updated that uh, her father had some friends that had a helicopter, and they were bringing that one down to search for her. And we were trying to organize and get uh, many of our personnel and uh, search and rescue out. And then we would start a search based on her house and uh, you know moving out away from the house. The deputies are making their way down a list of possibilities and checking them off as they go. You know, first thing we typically do is go and search everywhere in the house. Like, even though every time you have a missing kid, you know, parent calls and says, my kid's missing, my kid's missing, can't find my kid. First thing you do, even though they say we've checked everywhere in the house, we've checked everything, is you go look in the house. Because when you're a parent, you get all panicked and you get all worried and you overlook things. Or you think, well, I've already checked there, I've already checked under that pile of clothes. And, you know, 11 times out of 10, you find kids sleeping under a pile of clothes or they went back in their bedroom. And when the parent thinks there's no way they could have come back in the house, you know, they're in there. So that's why first thing we do, even though parents think we're idiots and we don't know what we're doing, is you go and check every room in the house, check all the outbuildings, you do all that. visiting with Megan's parents, trying to find out if there was any other places uh, as we were waiting for the detectives to get on site uh, to, to help in, in more of the investigation. We'd gone through you know, who they had called, what their relationships were, more in detailed attributes of, about Megan herself, her personality and those type of things. I know that Megan's dad felt bad about is that this dog had been barking that morning and early in the morning and he it does that once in a while but is he just ignored it if he would have maybe gone outside he, he would have known earlier that she was he's gone because I remember Daryl taking me out to those there's this old garage shop garages next to each other big long skinny thing in garages with boats and tractors or whatever he had in there and and um and i think he said they'd already looked through them and stuff but i remember him kind of taking me out through there and looking around and we were talking about well you know can you think of anyone that would have came and picked her up or anywhere she she was she mad at you guys running away and something like that you know um trying to just eliminate those things and and come up with ideas that were not the worst case scenario because it's not like it's like we have people getting abducted every day. Did you feel like the communication was pretty good between the family and the sheriff's office? I mean, as a parent myself, you always want things to move faster and quicker. And you know, my daughter's gone and they want to have things progress quicker than maybe what they did. But I think the timeline and the way that things played out that day I don't know that they could have been any better. We need to eliminate family as a possibility. Because, um, 
Uh, that's that's just what you do. You, if you're coming up empty everywhere else, you you've got to you've got to make sure you're covering everything. Um, you know, you just can't discount anything, and that tends to not make families happy with the police. You know, and it makes them uh, upset, and and you see that in the news on cases and things going on around. But if you don't do that, then and it ends up being family, then you're dumb for not thinking that it was family, you know. I know that uh, eventually when they're ticking off the boxes and all that, they're they're looking at family, they're looking at, you know, you know, you just start getting there, well, who, who was mad at you? Who was upset with you, even remotely? Or you didn't, you know, who are the people you would never think in a million years do this, but could have some issue with you, you know, and you start, you just start kind of uh, figuring out, you know, checking those, checking those off and just process of elimination as much as possible. When a child goes missing, it is standard procedure for the police to thoroughly investigate the family. While this is a necessary step in the search for answers, it can also be incredibly difficult and a painful experience for the family involved. By examining the family's interactions, their relationships, and potential motives, the police can piece together a clearer picture of what may have happened. Ultimately, the investigation into family serves a critical purpose in the search for a missing child, but it is crucial that the police balance their duty to investigate thoroughly with the understanding that the family is already enduring immense emotional hardship. We're we're getting this call yet about a six, seven hour window there where you're starting to go down and we've searched uh, the house and the shops and the buildings. We've talked to all the family, all the neighbors, all the friends. And, you know, I think if you, as soon as you eliminate all the normal things, all the runaway um, possibilities and family and friends and all that, as soon as you quick, you know, if you eliminate those real quickly, then you start thinking in terms of, we haven't solved the Amber Hoops case yet. On September 14th, 2001, 20-year-old Amber Hoops went missing sometime in the night. At the time, she was living with her grandparents and working for them at the auto body shop next to their home. It was not like Amber to go anywhere without telling someone, and after gathering evidence and information from the family, deputies believed foul play was involved. But her disappearance is still unsolved to this day. Megan's home was roughly 10 minutes from where Amber was taken. Our shift, you know, we're, we're kind of fresh off Amber Hoops still. At the time, that's still active case, you know, um, acting a, uh, active enough in my mind that I remember questioning, hey, where's the suspects at today? That we were looking at that. What are they doing right now? Do we need to go look at them? And then, of course, there was the Elizabeth Smart incident in Salt Lake. And so that had some similarities, at least from what little knowledge we knew about it. And then that box got checked off because it just didn't time out right. Is it possible someone's, you know, running up and down the northwest state to state, grabbing who they can as they go, you know? I don't know. But but like I say, it's not, I, I don't know, other than Amber Hoops, I don't know as I'd really worked on or been or been involved or taken any calls where someone went missing that wasn't found. They're either runaway or they just got misplaced or went to grandma and grandpa's and didn't tell anybody and told grandma and grandpa they told them. But, you know, thank God we don't have those every single day. 
we got a lot of people I think think we do but you know realistically stranger abductions just don't happen that, that much at some point both Stosich and Lovell leave to cover other calls leaving detectives and search and rescue to continue the investigation and prepare for a search of the surrounding property Megan's friends Kira and Whitney also leave um, they ended up taking us over to another friend's house that lived just down the road and we lived out in the country so um, we we're all pretty close in some regard but um, they took us over to another friend's house and they said okay this is where you're gonna stay for the day until we um, know more about where Megan might be and, and what's going on in this situation we'll keep you updated but we want to make sure that we can have you close by in case we have any questions or need to ask you something I went with a family friend uh, back to see uh, her daughter. One of our friends had recently had surgery and um, and so she wasn't able to move around very well, but it got to the point that her mom was the one that I rode back with. Uh, and she thought, you know, she, she probably needs to know what's going on. So I ended up going back with her. I'm kind of going about the day and I'm getting feedback from um, from my family because by then they had called neighbors and and board members and my family was out there started and headed out there and they had called and said hey like they're wanting everybody out here to get start kind of start searching police had been called by then and the police were telling them oh she probably just ran off with some boys and they were super annoyed with that they're like she just that's not who she is this like this is more serious um this is not just something that she didn't just wander off and with some boys and um so then I think they started thinking maybe an animal took her pulled her from the trampoline or something so they were getting ready to go comb the fields and so my family was calling me at the time and was like are you gonna come out here and and help us or help everybody and I th they just really wanted me to come out there and I was like I remember by the third phone call I'm like no I just really feel like I need to stay here and it was pushing like 11 30 ish time and almost noon and I remember thinking oh I had to go to town and take some mail to the post office and grab some lunch and I thought maybe I can go home and change my shoes at this time and and I went to town and they had called again and yeah I'll go change my shoes it was just this sinking feeling in your stomach when you're like hey something is wrong this is not right anymore and you're you feel helpless and you don't know what to do and we're just so young and our parents were at work and um people are looking and i felt like we were there at our friend's house all day long just had a feeling to get back to the office and it was kind of pressing like i just remember feeling anxious and okay so i just didn't even go in the house i just stayed in my car pulled out went back to work went back to the office I just felt like I needed to be there, which was so weird because, and everybody kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to stay here. And I get back to the office and I was carrying my lunch and, and my keys and trying to get through the door and unlock the door and get into the office. I could hear the phone ringing and I get through the door and I um, get up to the phone and it's my grandmother and, and she's asking me questions. What's going on? I'm hearing this stuff with Megan and yeah, like they can't find her and they're not really sure what's going on. And kind of mid conversation with her, the phone's ringing. And it was literally maybe a minute later, the phone is ringing. And I said, come on, hang on. I'm 
need to answer this. So I put her on hold and I pick up the phone and I just hear this voice, Misty, it's Megan. I'm like, oh, we've been looking for you. And I just remember her comment. I knew they would. If you have any information about the disappearance of Amber Hoops, please contact Bonneville County Sheriff's Office or Crime Stoppers by calling 208-522-1983. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. Music production is by Morgan Selner. Be sure to stay tuned until the end to hear a preview of the next episode. While the timeline may not be exact, the facts of this case are laid out as close as the memories of those involved allowed. You can find additional information about this podcast on our website, she'smissingpodcast.com. We will be back next week with another episode. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production. went out. I remember laying there. I was laying in the middle and we just laid there and looked up at the stars and we just thought this was so cool. Like it was so silly, but it was just like, we never got to do this. Like everyone else got to, but we never did. So, and then I remember just drifting off and going to sleep. I remember kind of rolling over in the middle of the night and I had opened my eyes, but everything was still kind of that foggy. Can't see clear. But I remember someone like standing over my head kind of, and I remember recognizing that, but then I just rolled over and went back to sleep. But as that happened, I just felt this hand come to my mouth. And I remember it, well, it startled me, obviously. So I opened my eyes and sure enough, like there is this guy just standing there. And so he hurries and puts his hand like over his mouth and just does the shh